2 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 13 is our text. Second Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, let's again give our attention to God's inspired and inerrant word. Let's just back up into uh, chapter 18 at verse 36. This just follows the, the speech, the message uh, the, the message that uh, Sennacherib's uh, emissary brought to uh, King Hezekiah from the king of Assyria uh, chapter 18 verse 36 uh, after they heard uh, what uh, the king's Spokesman had said, the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, with Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection. For the children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. When he heard them say concerning Terhaka, king of Cush, Behold, he has come out to fight against you. He sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, You have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Did the gods of those nations which my fathers destroyed deliver them? Even Gozan and Haran and Rezif and the sons of Eden who were in Telesar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of Sephirvaim, and of Hena, 
and of Ivah. The reading of God's holy word, be seated and let's pray together. O Lord our God, we believe that your word uh, is inspired, uh, that you have breathed these words out, breathed out the words of the scriptures through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that they are profitable for, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And we pray, O oh God, that uh, you would use these words to equip us this evening through the very Spirit who inspired these words. Now, O oh God, illumine uh, these inspired words to our hearts and minds. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Recall that King Hezekiah had initially rebelled against Assyria and refused to serve the king of Assyria, chapter 18, verse 7. Then Sennacherib came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them, chapter 18, and verse 13. Knowing Jerusalem was next, Hezekiah agrees to pay the exorbitant tribute that the king of Assyria imposed on him, chapter 18, verses 14 to 16. Sennacherib, nevertheless, agrees to, uh, nevertheless sends uh, officials and a large army uh, to demand Jerusalem's surrender, chapter 18, verse 17. Hezekiah sends his officials to deal with the uh, king of Assyria's spokesman, the, the Rabshaka, and after the long exchange of chapter 18, uh, the, this chapter ends on a, a downbeat note. The officials come to Hezekiah, uh, as we read uh, here at the end of chapter 18, with their clothes torn and uh, report the Rabshaka's words. Chapter 19 records the outcome of this ordeal. The first section in verses 1 to 13 uh, reveals Hezekiah's initial response and his plea to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah's word from Jehovah and Assyria's continuing propaganda campaign against Jerusalem. We have in this first section of chapter 19, in the first place, the king's plea. Secondly, the prophet's assurance. And thirdly, Assyria's propaganda. The king's plea, the prophet's assurance, and Assyria's propaganda. First then, the king's plea in verses 1 to 5. When Hezekiah heard the king of Assyria's ultimatum, he ripped his garments as a sign of grief and put on sackcloth as a symbol of his humility and repentance. Chapter 19 and verse 1. And then he did what we would expect that a man of God, whom uh, we are told in chapter 18, in this summary of uh, the king's reign, trusted in Jehovah and clung to Jehovah, he went straight to the temple, to the house of the Lord. 
We're not told explicitly uh, what he did there. Part of his entrance into the house of the Lord in, in sackcloth was, a, was a, an expression of his humility. Uh, but the house of the Lord is a house of prayer. And while we're not told that he prayed there, I have no doubt in my mind that that's what Hezekiah was doing in the house of the Lord. In going to the temple for prayer, Hezekiah was following the wise counsel of, the, uh, of King Solomon, who wrote, The name of Jehovah is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Proverbs 18.10 He was also acting out in real time one of the many hypothetical scenarios that Solomon brought before Jehovah in his prayer of dedication upon the temple's completion, asking that the temple would be a house of prayer when times of distress befell God's people. Among those scenarios... Solomon had prayed, 1 Kings 8, verses 37 to 40, If their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever prayer or supplication is made by your people Israel, spreading their hands toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and render to each according to all his ways. And then Hezekiah did something that kings of Israel and Judah ought always to have done, but so often failed to do. He sought a word from Jehovah through Jehovah's prophet, Isaiah, verses 2 to 4. The king's words to Isaiah, the message that he sent to Isaiah, are full of grief. Grief for uh, the children that might not be born if Assyria destroys uh, Jerusalem. This was a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection for God's people, the king said, indicating that Jehovah was chastening them for their sin. And the crisis is so dire, Hezekiah says, uh, we have no strength or resources to deal with it. And yet for all his agony, all his grief, Judas king put his finger on the major issue. He had the spiritual insight to understand what was really at stake in this confrontation with the king of Assyria. Verse 4, this was spiritual warfare. The Assyrians were taunting the one true God, which no one can do with impunity. No one can do without suffering the consequences. What these enemies deserved was a divine rebuke. King Hezekiah, therefore, had hoped that God would vindicate himself against the Assyrians who had spoken this blasphemy against the living God. The new David, Hezekiah, was facing the new Goliath, Assyria. The first David, remember, had heard Goliath ridicule the armies of Israel and their God and had left a precedent for the new David, Hezekiah, to follow. On that occasion said, 
Who is this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should taunt the armies of the living God? For Samuel 17, verse 26. So the servants of Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Uh, we read in chapter 19, verse 5 of our text. So much then for the king's plea. That brings us secondly to the prophet's assurance in verses 6 and 17. It's a short assurance. It's a short word. Uh, Jehovah's word to, to Hezekiah through Isaiah is brief, but it's reassuring. He began by giving the king one of the most frequently repeated commands in Scripture. Do not be afraid, which is often accompanied uh, with the promise, for I am with you. For example, uh, that great uh, passage in Isaiah 41, verse 10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In this fallen world, we often face fears, but God is stronger than all of our fears. And thus he comes to us in his word with this repeated refrain, Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Don't be afraid of, of what might go wrong in your life. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't be afraid of anything at all. David could therefore say in Psalm 23, David, who had this assurance from the Lord himself, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. This divine word through Isaiah also reassured Hezekiah that God had heard the fearful words of the Assyrians and regarded them as a direct assault on his honor. God knew all about the situation, as he always does. Whatever we're going through, he knows exactly what's happening in our lives. He hears every word that's spoken against him and against the people he loves. He's ready to respond, and especially to defend his dear children and the honor of his name. Most of the time, God simply acts without giving any explanation. But in this case, he provides more details through his prophet. Isaiah told Hezekiah more or less exactly what would happen to uh, the king of, uh, of uh, Assyria. Verse 7, first, Sennacherib would hear a rumor uh, that would cause him to uh, hurry back home to Assyria. Then once back home, he would be struck down with a sword. As it turned out, these Two events, the, the king's return and the king's assassination, happened many years apart. But they were both part of God's mighty judgment against Assyria and his wondrous, deliver, uh, wondrous deliverance of Jerusalem. God wanted Hezekiah to have uh, the assurance that deliverance was on the way. We've considered the king's plea we have considered the prophet's assurance. That brings us then thirdly to Assyria's continuing propaganda against uh, King Hezekiah in Jerusalem, verses 8 to 13. No sooner had uh, the king received 
Isaiah's prophecy, then Jehovah began to set his plans into motion. After the Rabshakeh had uttered his threats and his taunts, he returned from Jerusalem and he found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Verse 8. Libna was probably north, uh, northeast of Lachish. We don't know exactly where. Uh, but the news that Terhaka, king of Cush, that is Ethiopia, had come out to fight against Assyria, verse 9, was apparently the rumor that caused Sennacherib to return to Nineveh, where he was killed by the sword, chapter 19, verses 36 and 37. But not before the messengers uh, uh, returned again to Hezekiah, renewing uh, the king of Assyria's efforts to intimidate Jerusalem into surrendering, verse 9. In his message, Sennacherib warns Hezekiah against religious naivete, uh, verse 10. Don't let your God in whom you trust, deceive you, saying Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Remember back in chapter 18 and verse 29, Jerusalem's residents were warned by the Rabshakeh not to let Hezekiah deceive them. Now in this second message from Sennacherib, Jehovah has become the deceiver. And then, through these messengers, Sennacherib presses on Judah's king the same religious historical argument that he had pressed upon Jerusalem's residents through the Rabshakeh, verse, uh, chapter 18, verses 33 uh, to 35. You know the facts of history, Hezekiah. You've heard uh, the reports of Assyria's conquests. So what makes you think that you're so special? Verse 11. Sennacherib's predecessors brought nations to ruin. Did any of their deities deliver them? Verse 12. And then he again, as, as the, the Rabshakeh had named them uh, in the hearing of uh, Hezekiah's officials and the hearing of those on the wall in Jerusalem, he again names a dozen kings that had fallen to the sword of the king of Assyria. Verse 13. So Isaiah has proclaimed Jehovah's assurance that Hezekiah has nothing to fear concerning Sennacherib's threats. But the interesting thing about the first section of chapter 19 is that nothing has changed. not in terms of the threat against Jerusalem. Sennacherib still seems to be very much in the picture. The pressure is still on Jerusalem. Nothing has changed since chapter 18. Assyria's arguments are the same. Assyria's arrogance is the same. The, Judah, Judah, uh, the people of Judah and the king of Judah has, have Jehovah's word a promising relief, but things are still dark in Jerusalem. Nothing is any different. The account of Hezekiah and Sennacherib awakens us to the reality of the Christian experience. 
Isn't this exactly what God's people face repeatedly? Some trouble comes upon believers, some distress pulls them down. And though they know the biblical assurances of God's faithfulness, they can even quote those assurances, some of them from memory, still nothing changes. And they go on and on in their trouble, which is why we have the how long prayers of the Psalms. For example, uh, as we looked recently, one of those prayers uh, of King David in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? We're assured of the glory ready to be revealed, and yet we find ourselves wading through the sufferings of the present time. But God's word further assures us that our present sufferings aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. We suffer with Christ that we may be glorified with him. Paul says, Romans 18, verses 17 to 18. So this account of King Hezekiah and Sennacherib shows us the, the reality of our, our Christian experience. This is normative for the Christian life. But at the same time, let this account remind you of how easy it is for God to deliver his people. Some of our problems seem beyond the hope of any solution, at least from a human standpoint. Health problems, vocational problems, family problems, financial problems. Sometimes we doubt whether there's anything that God can really do. Whether God will really and truly act, whether God really hears us when we cry out to him. But God can do whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases. However powerful our enemies may seem, those who stand against God are in much greater danger than we are much greater danger than they can, than they can possibly imagine, uh, and, and certainly in much greater danger than God's people are against their threats. God is not for them, but against them. The same mighty God who delivered Jerusalem, who diverted Sennacherib, from Jerusalem by drawing him back home is more than able to redirect our problems toward the outcome that will bring the most glory to himself and to his son, Jesus Christ, and the most good to us, especially to conform us to the image of his son. And finally, let Hezekiah's faithful response instruct you as to the godly, believing response. What should you do 
when nothing changes despite uh, the biblical assurances that God gives you in his word and nothing changes as you uh, make your plea to God and search out his word uh, for direction and help and you nevertheless go on and on in your trouble. What do you do? You keep praying. You keep seeking God in his word. You keep believing and pleading his promises before his throne. Deliverance from your rescuer, fort, and rock is coming. And this account of Hezekiah and Sennacherib says that you can count on it. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess to our shame that we often doubt you, that we doubt that you can do anything, even though we know what your word says, we know uh, that it proclaims your power to do as you please, when you please. And we confess that though we know of these things that you have revealed in your word, that the sufferings of uh, uh, the present times aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us, uh, that we suffer with Christ so that we may be glorified with Christ, that this is our, our norm, this is the reality of the Christian experience, yet we, uh, yet we struggle uh, in our suffering. We struggle with uh, your promises. Uh, we pray that you would teach us, O oh Lord, what the godly believing response is when our troubles go on and on, and it seems like there's no relief in sight. Teach us to keep praying with faith. Keep us to, be, uh, to, to, to seek your word in faith, believing what you have promised and pleading those promises. We do pray that you would deliver us from... Uh, the troubles of the Christian experience. Uh, but we pray that we would learn from our suffering, that we would learn the lessons of our suffering, that we learn the, the lessons of our trials and tribulations in this life. And most of all, O oh Lord, we pray that through them you would conform us to the image of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. <laughs>